0: Welcome back, hey hey tree huggers, hey there. Today we're going to be talking about big emotions, tantrums, A.K.A. dun da, da dun tantrums. So this is a big one, I think, because of the fact that we get a lot of referrals mm-hmm. for kids who have uh, trouble with anger management, quote unquote, behavioral concerns, whether in the classroom or at home, dysregulation, dysregulation. They're defiant, disrespectful, a lot of trouble listening. Um, They control their environment. These are just some of the things that parents tell us and that what we hear when we hear those words is we think about their big emotions and we wonder how they're going to manage them, how they're going to stay regulated and what we can do as parents and as caregivers and teachers to help them with that. So we're going to be focusing on really our role in that child's big emotions and what we can do to help um, contain them, if you will, or be the container.
1: When you're actually here in therapy, we take a look at a lot of the underlying reasons why these may be happening. That's not what this podcast
0: is about. We're going to give you some snippets. We're definitely going to be talking about it, but this is, you know, we say it every time, but it is a really big topic that could be broken down a few different ways. So this one, we're going to focus on what a quote unquote tantrum looks like. We're going to talk about a, a few of the different etiologies and how we would address it and maybe... As you're listening, you'll be like, oh, I didn't even know that would be considered a big emotion that I should hold space for. And what does that look like when I do that? Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of times I think parents think when a child has big emotions, the first thing they think is stopping the behavior and how can I get control of it? So that's what we're going to be breaking down a little bit today is that's not the lens I want you to see it through. Okay. I would like to start, though. Yes, ma'am. With a pet peeve of mine. Ooh, okay. Okay. Which one? (laughs) Apparently, I have quite a few, but for today's show, I am going to be discussing one really bothersome pet peeve, which is those videos mm-hmm. online of shaming toddlers, watching them throw a conniption, watching toddlers cry, or even just arguing with a child. And you think that their kind of impotence and frustration is cute. I didn't find it cute. Mm-mm. No. I find it insulting. I find it insulting because here at the Treehouse, I'd like to think Terry and I really respect little people, as do all of our therapists, as exactly that, little people. Mm-hmm. And so when I see a child being super frustrated communicatively, and maybe they're either crying or they're communicating really well, and you're sort of laughing along with how they're communicating, that is just a, a pet peeve of mine, because I don't think parents truly understand how they could honor that child differently. Um, So, there you go. There's a pet peeve. All right. All right. So, thinking of that, keeping that in mind as we talk through here, I want to um, link that with what we're saying. But we should start with a very important review of the brain in the palm of the hand.
1: Uh Aha. There's an entire podcast that we have about this concept of the brain in the palm of the hand, which is a visual model. And we have a beautiful handout that we will link in the show notes. I believe what? it's
0: on the Kind and Verb podcast, Oh, good. so you know. I, I didn't recall that. Thank
1: mm-hmm. you. So the brain in the palm of the hand, you've got your hand, you've got your thumb sort of tucked in, your fingers going over it. If you're imagining that your hand is your brain, the base of your hand um, is your brainstem. And mm-hmm. your brainstem is responsible for those automatic reactions, mm-hmm. breathing, as well as our reflexes, which provide us with this overall sense of safety and protection. Mm -hmm. Your thumb, tucked in there in the middle of the brain there, is your uh, midbrain. It is that emotional amygdala limbic system Mm -hmm. that is responsible for, for our emotional reactions. And then our fingers, curling over top, are representative of more of the cortex in our thinking brain. What I think we want to talk about here is what happens when that brain stem takes over mm-hmm. and you uh, information is deemed not safe and you flip your lid, you no longer have access to these cortical strategies, you're operating from that sense of um, more of fight or flight and from your emotional. Think about what the stressors are to our children that are causing sort of this fight or flight response, if you will, where you quote unquote flip your lid and no longer have access to those cortical strategies. And you're operating from that uh, amygdala limbic
0: emotional system. And that scary injury could be physical or it could be emotional.
1: Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. so, Let's jump in because oftentimes our kiddos have these big emotions and Mm -hmm. we see these – how would you define a big emotion, Stace?
0: Well, how I would define it and how someone else may define it may be a little bit different (laughs) (laughs) because when I see a big emotion, like for example, I could see just a baby or a toddler who's using screaming to communicate or to Mm -hmm. request or Mm -hmm. to protest. You know, you'll see a parent who maybe – has been trying to stop that child from crying or screaming or rushes in to fix or stop um, something from escalating i once had a therapist we were working and they they were working with a child who had some dysregulation issues and the therapist was like it's really tricky to work with them because you don't want to start a fire you can't put out. I thought that was interesting because that's the way our parents often see it, is when you're starting this fire, you instantly are trying to put out a fire versus trying to be that container. So what you could see is just simply crying, just simply, ah, yelling in response to a question. Um, Terry has a wonderful podcast that she had just talked about with uh, baby equipment, and she was talking about baby Vegas on an extra saucer. And if something falls off that extra saucer, and that child doesn't have any other way to communicate other than to scream for you, doesn't necessarily have the finger to be able to point or can't calmly say, hey, mom, could you pick that up? So they're going to use what they've got. So oftentimes for me as a speech pathologist, when I see big emotions, I see a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, some shutdown, or just some flat-out No, what looks like refusals of requests can be big emotions, Um, crying, storming off to their room, um, Mm -hmm. could be something big and physical, could just be Mm -hmm. shutting down and withdrawal and just not Mm -hmm. doing something. Mm
1: -hmm. O.T. Terry immediately goes and thinks of the body and sort of um, some pushing and some hitting and seeking Mm -hmm. of some of that deeper proprioceptive input, stomping the feet. So really those big emotions are any reaction, physical or emotional, where your communication is hindered.
0: I guess the word big is really kind of a misnomer because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be big per se. Mm -hmm. It can just be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you see something where you're like, that's not how I want my child to respond or that's not socially appropriate or he shouldn't be hitting his brother. But those are the emotions that we're talking about. There's a reason. There's something that underlies that emotion. And there's a way that we could react that can either make that emotion get bigger and worse or there's a way that we can react that can be helpful in facilitating some change. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about those examples? Sure. Let's talk about a motor planning example because oftentimes, too, like we said, we're going to touch on the different etiologies because every child is different and there could be just a myriad of um, things that are happening that are causing these big emotions, but I'm going to let the OT explain a motor planning issue that caused a child to have a big reaction.
1: Yeah, and I want you to think about um, – if you didn't have this knowledge and understanding how you might respond and how the difference, how it might look. So I have a friend, um, and this, and she has a daughter who I think at the time was about three, maybe. And my friend said, Hey, put your coat on and we'll go get ice cream. I don't know Mm -hmm. where we were going, but we were going to go somewhere. And it was fun. And my friend's daughter, I'm sitting there as OT Terry looking and my friend's daughter's trying to put her coat on. However, what I see is that the sleeve of the coat is inside out, and this little girl has absolutely no idea how to reach in, pull the sleeve, so that then she can successfully put her coat on. So what I see is her try to do it once and then throw it down, and then my friend goes into mom mode and says, put your coat on, and then... Her daughter gets a little bit frustrated, doesn't necessarily have the language to express that she tried and she can't figure it out. And my friend says, if you don't put your coat on right now,
0: we're not going to go get ice cream. Go to your room. So I just want to interject. Think about the brain in the palm of the hand. A child hears, if you don't do it, we're not going. Go to your room. We can't get ice cream. That emotional injury, like Terry said, might not have the language or might not just have access to the language. Can't communicate. Now I'm in fight or flight
1: Mm -hmm, because I've been yelled at. And I'm not exactly sure why. However, I did jump in. Sometimes I can't help myself. So What's that? In this situation, oh, oh. I actually did jump in. And I, I thought said, she meant
0: I was like, "No, you're talking." I jumped in. Go no, ahead. No, it's
1: okay. Um, <laughs> I jumped in in the situation with my friend and, and her daughter, and I said, hmm, "I see that that coat sleeves inside out. I wonder if we could." And then I modeled and helped her, and she put her coat on, and life was fine.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's it, a wonderful example. There. Yeah, okay. Thanks. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, like I had mentioned earlier with communication and feeding or just requesting in general. There's plenty of times when I might be working with a a parent and the child might be in a feeding chair or might just be playing. And if I'm helping coach that parent, I might see just a pattern set up where that child is – has a big personality or is very vocal but doesn't necessarily have words yet. And then they're using an intonation, they're yelling, they're raising their voice, trying to get what they need. And what we do as adults often is we will put our adult brain on that child's behavior and we think, well, that's so rude. It's like, well, of course, it wouldn't be appropriate if Terry screamed at me because she wanted me to plug the microphone in faster or something, Mm -hmm. because we know she has the capability. Mm -hmm. But what you're looking at is a child who doesn't have language. And what I always try to tell parents is kids will use what they have. And so I have a voice. I'm going to use it. I feel really insistent about whatever I need. So my voice is going to get louder, which is appropriate. Because you're not understanding me. So they're not putting that same social connection on it that you are. And so parents get nervous and they want it to stop.
1: Well, and I learned that when I do this, you you respond to me.
0: You'll automatically fix the situation okay. or you will okay. hold it back and tell me to say something in which case, in case I'll repeat without necessarily having attachment to that word, which we also shy away from. You know, people will use baby signs or other gestures, which is a great thing to teach in context, but not necessarily as a request in place of using the appropriate uh, vocal intonation. So, uh, another example might be we had a child once that came in that had a lot of uncontrollable crying, um, It had a lot of things going on with his body, we won't go into his history, but he came in and it, if I was to look at that crying, if I was to see that it's just a big emotion that I needed to control or a tantrum that I needed to control, I would have missed the boat that this child had a lot of visual and vestibular issues and needed just to feel safe. So we started putting down blankets so that he could cry and he had a more defined safe space to cry and then eventually I could join him on the blanket and then eventually he would see sit on my lap but if I looked at it just as a tantrum to stop I wouldn't have been able to see through what I needed to do to facilitate some calm so that I could then figure out what was actually happening or what he needed or what he needed to communicate or what he was feeling in his body now another thing this may or may not be what I'm going through this current moment (laughs) Hmm. might just be a teenager that says no to all of your requests for cooperation you know I'm talking to you Addison (laughs) (laughs) but that's a big emotion right because why would he just say no to my to my request and so obviously it's a misunderstanding or he's doing something else at the moment or he doesn't like what I want him to do. I mean, is it a proper communication strategy? No, but is it an emotion for him? Yes, that he's not communicating well. My ideas are not to go in and say, you're not gonna say no to me. Of course, as an adult, you might think it, but you're trying to figure out and what's the underlying emotion behind what that that child or teenager or infant is trying to tell you with what they're communicating, especially if you don't like the communication or it invokes a big emotion in you. Then what you're trying to do is try to figure out that pattern.
1: We are half of this communication partnership. Mm -hmm. So it is really important that we figure out um, not only what is at the root cause of this behavior um, and um, work from an understanding of that, but also what can we do Mm -hmm. as half of this communication partner to understand their communicative attempt and, and what you do about it.
0: Right. Well, there's one main thing we can do there's two things I'd like you to try not to do. So let's first try the things not to do. I would like you to discourage yourself from fanning the flames, yelling back, doing these videos where you think you're going to demonstrate to them what they look like because all that does is upset children. Um, Punishments that aren't relatable or reasonable. If you don't get your coat on, you can't get ice cream isn't necessarily a reasonable or relatable consequence from not being able to get your coat on. Um, So fanning the flames, not a great option. The other one is just trying to put it out, just trying to do things for the child that they could normally do for themselves, ignoring the behavior, trying to fix it. Or the big one that I watch is trying to convince Mm. them that they don't feel that way. You're not that mad that so-and-so took your pencil. That's not that upsetting. We don't need to cry about it. You know, those kind of phrases are very dismissive and Mm -hmm. discounting and not necessarily helpful. Now, is it a big deal in your mind that the pencil is broken? No. No. It's not. I'll I'll tell an example. I'll throw Mm -hmm. myself under the bus just real quick. I like these. I was driving in the car, and apparently, when my kids were younger, I used to have a very bad habit of saying, it's fine. You're fine. And I would say that rather dismissively. Didn't know it. My kids were young. My son, Lewis had a cut on his finger. He wanted to tell me about it. I was driving. He was being insistent that this cut was, you know, needed a stitch. We got blood everywhere back here. I knew it was an exaggeration, but he was upset about it. So he's telling me about it. And apparently I said, it's fine. You're fine. One time too many. And my older son said, mom, when you say it's fine, it's very dismissive. It's like you don't care about us. He's so wild, <laughs> Or overly therapized. Oh, mm, both, both. <laughs> but the point is, if you're saying it too much, I'm not saying you have to, you know, kiss every boo-boo on the spot when you're driving. But the point is, if over time, if you're not listening to those reactions and trying to help shape and facilitate, you're going to get bigger ones because that child is going to continuously over time try to amp it up to get your attention if you try to dismiss too much.
1: And similarly, if you are trying to put it out and sort of prevent these things from happening and always do for your child, um, because again, you're afraid of those big reactions, what that actually does is it takes this sort of just right regulatory range and it makes it smaller, and smaller and smaller and smaller because they're not developing the communication skills, the understanding of their emotions, and then what to do about it. And it takes this regulatory range, smaller and smaller and smaller, and that actually will cause bigger and bigger and
0: bigger reactions. Mm-hmm. And when they step outside of the safety of your home and enter into a school setting, mm-hmm. then that's when you're going to start seeing things like big reactions, behavior problems, those kind of things. Okay. And we're one, then we have to figure out where the etiology came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do we do? So what do we do? It's going to sound really really neat when I say it, but we offer an entire class about this. Actually January 24th is our next parent communication class. We'll we'll put a little link to that in the show notes. But the thing you need to do is you need to be the container for these emotions. You need to be calm. You need to be confidently in charge. And you need to not step into the drama. You need to not step into the emotions. You need to be able to look at it kind of sportscast from the side. What is happening? And sportscast is a terminology um, from Janet Lansbury that I love from her book, No Bad Kids, which is another great book for uh, toddlers, but you're tr- you're looking at it from the side objectively, and you're trying to figure out what exactly is happening, and allowing that emotion to happen is step one. You see the emotion, you allow the motion, emotion, and you accept the emotion. Now, after that's done, let's say your child's mad and they're yelling, and you're holding space, and you're being calm, and you're being neutral, and you're allowing this mad. Think about neurologically, bringing the palm of the hand. What you're hoping for In that moment is that you're trying to get back to that regulated state where their brain is calm and integrated so that then you can do your teachable moment or have your conversation or make the repair or discuss what happened or going forward make a solution or try to figure out what to do next time. But in that moment when they're having big emotions, your whole job is to see the emotion, allow it and accept it and to be able to be the container and show that you are confidently in charge. You yelling is not going to bother me. You saying no 50 times is not going to bother me because I am in charge here, and I am confidently in charge, and I know we'll move through this. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds simplistic, but it's really powerful and life-changing when you stop assuming that their emotions need to be stopped, controlled, or changed
1: let's go and just real quick visit a couple of those examples. Like I talked about with the, the little girl in the coat, she was getting very, very, very upset and frustrated. she was crying and kind of stomping her feet. And I waited after my friend had yelled, I waited a little bit and I went, hmm, and I pointed, and then I was able to engage her. I didn't try to stop her emotion. I let her have it and then eventually helped her problem solve through it. So let's mm-hmm. talk about um, your example of a little little buddy who potentially has some feeding challenges uh, and is like, yeah! for some food. What What would you do to
0: be the container? Mm-hmm. And in that situation, waiting. You're going to wait. You're going to look expectantly. Your face is going to be kind, soft, neutral. You're going to show him what he wants. You might help him shape a little finger. You might touch it. You might bring it close enough so that he can touch it and then you're just going to wait for that moment where you see the gleam in his eye, he's calm and he's looking ready for the food. And then you're gonna put it down and you might model, here you go, or you might touch it again, you might tap it, you might smile, you might name what it is. You're not expecting him to say it What you're expecting him to do is wait and see that when you're regulated, we get what we need, not necessarily when you're yelling, we get what we need. So you're just giving some pause time. In the example with the teenager, everyone says, yeah, right. How'd you deal with that? (laughs) Someone just says no to you over and over again, and you just kumbaya out of the room and you're Mm. fine with it. Mm. No, there's a lot of eye contact in my home. There's a lot of pausing, eye contact. And giving a little nod, like, is this this what we're doing? And there's a lot of expectation. There's expectation that that is not the end of our communication interaction. You saying no is not where it ends. I have an expectation going forward, and I might have to say it. Well, I have an expectation we actually talk about this. I'm always holding my kids accountable, just like they do me with the Band-Aid story. They held me accountable. I was being dismissive. They held me accountable. So I'm holding him accountable that no is not an appropriate answer in this situation. I ask you to take the garbage out. You say no. That's not going to be it. But I'm holding my space strong, confidently. I'm not yelling. I'm not stepping into it. But I'm not dismissing it and just doing it myself.
1: Mm-hmm. So It sounds so easy. It's very difficult. Yeah.
0: And it's situation to situation. So
1: Think about it. Try it yourself. Identify the fire, the big communication. And then decide what you want to do about it. You want to fan the flames and make it bigger? You want to try to put it out? Or you want to just be the container, mm-hmm. let the emotion happen, and then we can engage?
0: And that's what we talk a lot about in our parent comm classes, and that's what we talk about in individual therapy as we guide you through if if this is too much for you, which it, if you've come to us, it probably is. It's been a pattern that's kind of out of control, and we need to look at those patterns a little bit more um, succinctly and help guide you through it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening.